Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesota accents. Yeah. Yes. Uh. <laughs> right before recording, we were all crying, laughing over a bunch of dumb shit. Classic. Like we do. Fuck else is new. <laughs> <laughs> Who are we? Oh my God, I'm so sweaty. First recording Fuck, of the I'm new Kenyan. year. <laughs> 2020 fuck i'm kenyan nice i'm lucy i'm painfully sober oh i'm amanda and i'm not because i'm doing a drunk drunk dive after this <laughs> also yeah, i've decided not sober my, for long my only health related new year's resolution was to put a splash of probiotic juice in my white claw when i drink them <laughs> oh <laughs> that's my Good. i'm not i'm not gonna change anything else we're just gonna see how that yep. works out nine out of ten you're gonna be real regular <laughs> <laughs> oh Incredible. my god yeah i i don't want to talk about 2020 goals <laughs> <laughs> stay alive no yeah. yeah all right let's uh let's get right to this episode so we can drink um the topic this week is a very special fan pick sure is brought to you by michael scott <laughs> 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 this is this beautiful person's God-given name, and I am so here for it. Michael yeah, Gary maybe, Scott. Scott. <laughs> Yeesh. Maybe Mikhail. Mikhail. No, it's Michael. They it's gave him Michael. a pronunciation Michael. guide. Michael. Michael Scott. <laughs> they gave and a pronunciation you know guide for Michael they Scott. Did. <laughs> they said it was exactly how you pronounce our yeah. favorite character from The Office. Yes. <laughs> I read the Mikhail, my favorite Mik- character from Mikhail The Office. Mikhail Scott. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my God. Well, Michael has selected a very empowering topic, mm-hmm. I must say. Mm-hmm. I was happy mm-hmm. to do this one. Rosie the Riveter crimes. Fucking get it. Women of World War Two. Yeah. World War Two. Women who got it done. <laughs> mm. So without further ado, Amanda, what is our wine crime pairing for Rosie the Riveter crimes? Uh, Michael also picked our wine this week, and I believe they are uh, affiliated with this winery. I don't remember if they're like a co-owner. I could have easily just double-checked the email, but you know what? I didn't, so good (laughs) on you, Michael. Um, We are sipping Wild Rose Vineyards Syrah Rosé. Rosé the Riveter. Wild Rose. Ro- oh, get it. Get it. Get it. the riveter. It all swinkles it. back. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know. It's been a weird year. It's only been two days of this year, but it's been weird. It's been a really weird decade. It's been a fucking weird year. Um, This comes from a family-owned vineyard in Manson, Washington, and I love how this place got started because the owner and winemaker, Le- 
like literally started making wine in his garage with his cousin. <laughs> Just years wow. ago, this is like something that could be a scene out of Deliverance, but they really went for it. Uh, yeah. It was their passion project. And now all these years later, after some serious hard work and dedication from their entire family, like family quitting jobs, coming out of retirement to like come together and build this winery from the ground up, like planting all their own grapes, fucking doing all of it. Yeah. It's now this nice. big, beautiful winery with a full tasting room, which wow. I fucking love. And they host tastings at their winery for only 10 bucks a person. And one of these days we have to go. Yeah. And we got to go out. to Manson. That yeah, sounds awesome. Manson, Washington. Yeah, <laughs> let's do an event there. But if you live in Washington, check out wildrosewines.com and go scope it out for us because I want full reports. Mm-hmm. Um, I love doing Syrah rosés because Syrah is like a fucking doozy of a rosé wine. It's super rich in flavor and the grape itself has this nice like oily texture which gives that full silky mouthfeel. Mm. And Syrah rosés are just not for the Vanderpump hearted. This is not like a delicate <laughs> little fruity rosé. They exude white pepper, red pepper flake, cured meat. You're getting that like saltiness almost. This sounds like a pizza. I know. it's am- It would go so fucking well with pizza, you guys. Mm. So well. Um, but then they also have some bright cherry flavors with a backbone of bitter lime zest. So again, mm. not your typical fruity rosé wine. I love a robust rosé that could stand up to strong foods and stinky cheeses. Mm. So I'm fully here for this. Um, this is a popper. So if you don't already have one, go get your ass a nice pop wine key from wineandcrimepodcast.bigcartel.com. Mm-hmm. And Kenyon wants to start our new year off right by taking year, a stab. New pop. New year, new pop, baby. And I know that we already had an episode come out in the new year, but we are just recording this one in the new year. So suck it. (laughs) So be on our schedule world. Yeah. All right. I already got this started, but we all know that means nothing. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting the microphone down lower so you can really hear this disaster. Okay. Wow. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Ready? Yep. Yep. Oh. Oh my god, I am so good. Uh, 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 kind of <sighs> so good. Ah! Oh! <laughs> Gorgeous <Wow>. pop. <laughs> so nice. Sounds like nice. a river at work. That was no Vanderpump pop. No, I'm proud of you, Woo! honey. Happy New Year, Thank baby. Thank you. Happy New Year. Yes. Cheers. More like happy nude year because I'm never going back after last week's episode. (laughs) (laughs) How did we miss that pun? God damn it. There's a lot to be said about a crisp breeze between the thighs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I am fully proud of myself. (sighs) Let's move on. La, what is our background and maybe psych for Rosie the Riveter crimes? There's no psych. So here we go. That makes sense. (laughs) So World War II, in many ways, was much bigger than World War I in the sense that it directly affected more individuals around the world. And while Mm. American women weren't drafted into military combat, they were definitely called to mobilize in a million different ways, both at home 
and in the workforce. And, Full disclosure, oh, oh. I intentionally misunderstood the assignment and did cover a woman resistor in World War II, but she's not American. But she's just so badass, I wanted to cover her. Well, the next thing I was going to say is for this segment, we're just going to be talking about women in the United <laughs> States. <laughs> Thought I'd get ahead of it. <laughs> Obviously, women everywhere played a role in this war, but that could be an entire podcast series in itself. So we're keeping it limited today, except for Amanda's segment. Apparently. Nailed it. <laughs> I would definitely listen to a podcast all about women women's of the war, war efforts. Fuck yeah. Yes. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it would look different in every single economy in every country. Yeah. Yeah. And the women in the United States was a wild ride as it is. Mm-hmm. Imagine like Italian women, mm. Russian women. Or in well, my case, a Russian woman. Yes. Yeah, I have read Mm -hmm. lots of books about Russian female snipers. Get ready for it. (laughs) You would. She's not a sniper, but she's fucking badass. Kenyon has a whole bookcase dedicated to female Russian snipers. That's Kenyon's, like, porn collection. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have minimum five different books about that, and it does, Russia has its own section on my bookshelf. Speaking of Kenyon's porn collection, I forgot to do this, but I got an immersion blender for Christmas and it's blue. (laughs) My first thought was, oh my God, it's Kenyon's vibrator. It looks exactly like Kenyon's vibrator down to the electrical cord. Do not mistake an immersion blender for a vibrator. I won't. I personally won't. Oh no. I just have to make sure it's labeled for when Kenyon cooks in my kitchen. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna puree your <laughs> pussy. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, oh god. Get my the god. chunks okay. out. Okay. Oh. For full disclosure, oh. I only tried to use that vibrator like twice and it did basically nothing and now it is resigned to like the foot top massages. covered in the guest room. It feels yes. great on the bottom of the foot. It really does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Anyway. Okay. So <laughs> Even during World War I, many women left the home to join the workforce while the menfolk were away fighting. But the need was even greater in the Second World War for women to fill the gaps in the war industry, building ships, aircraft, vehicles, munition, and weaponry. They also provided logistical support for the soldiers like driving trucks and administrative duties. They worked in shipyards. They worked on farms to maintain food production. And about 400,000 women enlisted in the military or to work as nurses on the front lines. So in, to- yeah. in total, nearly 19 million women held jobs during World War II. Um, I thought this was interesting. Many of those 19 million women were already working in lower paying jobs or who were returning to work after being laid off during the Great Depression. So mm-hmm. oh, actually, that's interesting. yeah, so actually only, only, about 3 million new female workers entered the work the workforce at this time, but that's still an impressive number. It is. I mean, I also that feel makes like that, sense. Yeah, because yeah. then they're getting, uh, they're using existing skills that are then just being applied in a slightly different way. Yeah. And, and they're people who need the income, you know? Right. And it's less of a, it's less of a shift in their, like, really identity identity and ideology to be returning to the workforce than starting being the first woman in generations to join the workforce. Wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when you situate 
when you think about the context time-wise of World War II and the Great Depression and World War One, like that was a very tumultuous generation <laughs> that, mm-hmm, that spanned mm-hmm. all of that. So, yeah, they lived through some shit. So, yeah, let's let th- let it slide that they can't rotate a PDF. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, boomer. <laughs> my grandma I saw my grandma did a Facebook live the other day oh, oh god no. did she mean oh, to it's no. just a black screen <laughs> but it's like <laughs> several minutes long <laughs> oh I love her nothing's better than your grandmother-in-law though Lucy mm. Oh my god. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's a bull shark that one. <laughs> I love her. Uh, um okay. So women civilians were allowed to serve mostly stateside in various organizations like the Women Air Force Service Pilots or WASP for short which transported airplanes to wherever they were needed by the male soldiers, you know, the important ones. And Mm. just as badass, women were also allowed to serve as spies for the Office of Strategic Services, which is a branch of the U.S. Intelligence Agency. Oh, we'll get to it. Oh, I'm sure we will. That's why I intentionally didn't go down this rabbit hole because (laughs) I made a very fair assumption that one of you or both would be covering spies. Mm-hmm. So about 4,500 women worked for the OSS as clerks, operations agents, undercover agents, and code breakers. And some of these bad bitches spied overseas for information on the Japanese and German forces. Fucking sure get did. it. I love those women who like the sirens that lured Nazis into the woods with the promise yeah. of like fellatio oh, yeah. and then just straight up murdered them. Yep. That is the mood of this decade. Isn't Done. that what like Matahari did also? I don't know. Was Matahari a real person? Yes. I don't know, but yeah, probably sounds okay, like it. We'll Google it later. Don't email that's, us. That's the energy <laughs> I'm taking into this new decade. What? Don't, don't email, email us. <laughs> don't at me. Oh. <laughs> no, luring Nazis into the woods to murder them. Also, the don't email us energy, both. Fucking mood forever. Speaking of revisionist history, uh, has anyone <laughs> seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Not yet. No. I wanted to like it, but I'm really fucking sick of Quentin Tarantino there. I said it. Yeah. He just likes mm-hmm. to take himself back in time and like making wrongs right. And it's just too much. And just making everything colorful with a good soundtrack. Yeah. So there I said it. Hot take. Didn't like the movie. Moving on. (laughs) Okay. So women also filled out a whole shit ton of non-military jobs in organizations like the Red Cross and the United Service Organizations. They took jobs in the federal government and were called government girls. Yes. Not condescending at all. (laughs) They volunteered by canning produce, planting victory gardens, selling war bonds, donating blood, collecting scrap materials like copper and steel. Couldn't even keep my damn tiara. Tiara. (laughs) (laughs) We were at war with the Japs. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I don't think you can say that anymore. I know, but still, there's a lot of quotes in that movie that you can't say anymore. Oh, that movie is so fucking problematic. <laughs> yeah. Our favorite movie. I okay. can't help it. 
Okay. And sending care packages to soldiers overseas. Practically everyone stateside worked to support war efforts in some capacity. In addition to women serving in military or various support positions, 19 million women, American women left the domestic sphere to fill out the labor force outside the home. I think I already gave that stat, but I wrote this these notes over the course of like two weeks, so give me yep. a break. According to History.com, quote, between 1940 and 1945, the female percentage of the U.S. workforce increased from 27% to nearly 37%, and by 1945, nearly one out of every four married women worked outside the home, which doesn't sound like a lot. But for the time, but for the time that would yeah. be it really was. Huge, yeah. Yeah. The aviation industry saw the biggest increase in female workers. More than 310,000 women worked in the U.S. aircraft industry in 1943, making up 65% of the industry's total workforce, compared to just 1% in the pre-war years. So they we went got from those delicate hands for putting together yeah. aircraft. We'll get to it. We're ready. <laughs> so from 1% to 65%, that's that's, that's impressive, jump. yeah. Yeah. Wow. And the munitions industry also heavily recruited women workers as illustrated by the US government's Rosie the Riveter propaganda campaign. Fucking Slash get it. Best last minute Halloween costume idea always. Oh, always. always. Put so, a scarf on it. You're done. Yeah. yeah, roll up your sleeve. Who doesn't have a denim top? Exactly. Literally everyone has a denim top. Or chambray. Propaganda mm. played. That's what I, meant. I know. I know what you meant. Propaganda played a major part in recruiting women for various duties not typically ascribed to them. Government campaigns targeting women mostly addressed housewives because, again, there was still a significant portion of women who had not previously been in the workforce. So they were mm -hmm. the ones that needed like additional encouragement to join the workforce. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and to make it seem a little more like. Acceptable. Acceptable. Yeah. Well, yeah. And just like that you'd be literally skilled enough to even be able to do it. Because I bet a lot of women who had never worked before would think like, oh, what skills do I have? Mm -hmm. You know? Well, my that next would be really sentence scary. is phrases like, can you use an electric mixer? If so, no. you can learn to operate a drill. Work oh, common. my God. Wow. It can, I literally it can, can barely <laughs> use an electric mixer, though. So. Yeah, you thought it was a vibrator. Or immersion blender. <laughs> That's an immersion blender, and that was you. <laughs> Whatever. Revisionist history. Oh, God. <laughs> so there was also propaganda aimed at their husbands, urging them to let their wives join the workforce. Oh, Jesus cool. fucking Christ. Cool, like, cool, aren't cool, you cool, overseas? Cool, cool. Worry about your fucking self. Right? <laughs> we got it. <laughs> Jesus. Stay in your lane, Bob. Yeah. Uh, stay in Hank. your lane. <laughs> so obviously Rosie the Riveter is arguably the most remembered campaign, becoming the most iconic image for working women beyond workers for defense industries during this time period. And fun fact, there is there was a Wendy the Welder also. Oh, cute. Mm -hmm. That is very cute. Now that she is, is the mascot for a large conglomerate of fast food restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> I assume. I heard there was a lot of drama between Dave Thomas and his daughter, Wendy, because he had like multiple children. 
And she mm. like resented him for making her picking the- her. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I didn't Why want would- this? It was a lot of pressure. <laughs> that I is don't a lot of pressure. Your life. <laughs> I don't have I don't red hair. Your junior bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> I make hate your blue and white better. stripes. <laughs> to be fair, I do want your junior bacon cheeseburger. Oh God! I do. Let's wrap this up. I marry you. So I marry you. I marry you. <laughs> With a side of chili. <laughs> okay. So while Rosie is primarily a fictitious character, she was kind of based on a real life munitions worker named Naomi Parker, later Naomi Fraley, from a photo taking, taken at Alameda Naval Air Station in California. And I will say that between all the different iterations of all the different Rosie the Riveters, there is there are a lot of different names of real life women, but as far mm. as this specific poster that comes to mind when you say Rosie the Riveter, which we'll get to, it's the Westinghouse poster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That has been proven to be this person. Got it. Okay. Can you imagine being I, that person or being related to that person? Being like, that was my, my grandmother or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Especially if she like badass. grew up to be a cranky old lady. A terrible, terrible. old lady. <laughs> <laughs> like you Let's could never be mad at her. Did because she's no. Rosie the Riveter. Yeah. She won the let war. That go. She did yeah. win the, the allies. War. Single-handedly. Yeah. Oh my God. She okay. can do it. So in 1942, the image was made into the famous We Can Do It poster designed by artist J. Howard Miller for Westinghouse Company's War Production Coordinating Committee, which basically just published propaganda as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. In 1943, mm-hmm. Norman Rockwell painted another Rosie for the cover of the Saturday Evening Post featuring a Rosie with a whole lot more symbology. There is a photo on the drive, which will be on the blog. I'd like you to take a look at it now. Hmm. It's the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. Oh. Yeah. Whoa. I, look at those guns. Those oh, literal yeah. guns. So this is just a long quote from Wikipedia because I didn't feel like rephrasing this whole fucking thing. Quote, Rockwell's illustration features a brawny woman taking her lunch break with a rivet gun on her lap and beneath her penny loafer, a copy of Adolf Hitler's manifesto Mein Kampf. So like it's under a her pretty shoe. badass illustration, though she yeah. looks like uh, the redhead bearded guy from Game of Thrones, the wildling. We'll like get, she has his body type. We'll get to her body it's type. It's him shaved. We will get to her body type. <laughs> yeah. For better or worse. Her, it's upsetting. Her lunchbox reads Rosie, and viewers quickly recognize that to be Rosie the Riveter from the familiar song, which we'll get to the song in just a minute. Yes. Norman Rockwell, America's best-known popular illustrator of the day, based the pose of his Rosie on that of Michelangelo's 1509 painting Prophet Isaiah from the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Rosie is holding a ham mm. sandwich in her left hand, and her blue <laughs> overalls are adorned with badges and buttons, a Red Cross blood donor button, a white V for victory, a blue star mother's pin, an Army-Navy E-Service Production Award pin, two bronze civilian service awards, and her personal identity badge. Rockwell's model was a Vermont resident, 19-year-old Mary Doyle, who was a telephone operator near near where Rockwell lived, not a riveter, and Rockwell painted his Rosie as a larger woman than his model, and he later phoned 
Mary Doyle to apologize for yeah. his portrayal <laughs> of her. Which I look, think the, is the body and the arms look great. It's just the size of the head. In it's a pinhead. Yeah, it's tiny. Like her body looks great. She looks powerful and very strong, but she's got a tiny ass head on. It on looks top like there. bad Photoshop. Do better, Norman Rockwell. Yeah, I just didn't. That whole part about him phoning to apologize how he built this woman who was supposed to be a fucking wartime factory worker riveter. She's gonna be fucking buff. She's gonna be be jacked. jacked. It's awesome. That part's, I mean, I can see what you're saying that that's like fucking patriarchy to be like, I'm sorry that I portrayed your size as powerful. I'd be like, I'm sorry that I made your head so small. Well, that's what this is implying. It has nothing to do with the size of her head. Right. This that's is what just we're what we're bringing we, up. We know. Yeah, we know we what get you're it. saying. Yeah. Um, it also reminds me of, okay, you know, recently uh, our object of lust, Kristen Stewart, hosted mm-hmm. SNL. And yep. actually, it was a pretty terrible episode, I'm sorry to say. Like, they okay, often Kristen, are, but it's okay. Really sorry. They didn't revisit the Totino's sketch, and it was all downhill from there. But- there was one sketch with um, A.D. Bryant, who is, like, the funniest Fucking human love. ever. Um, with uh, I've pretty much all the female cast members, I think, if I'm remembering it correctly. But they're, like, <laughs> it's, like, ad men going to, like, a munitions factory during World War II trying to find models. But then it's just, like, all these, like, real-life women factory workers who are just, like, you know, scratching their asses and, like, living their lives. It's really funny. I'm not describing it well. (laughs) (laughs) You had to be there. It's Um, funny. So sort of funny that you would bring that up. I I know people hate hearing about other people's dreams, but last night I had an entire night-long dream that I was asked to be on Saturday Night Live. I tried texting the two of you. Neither of you would respond because you were mad at me. And then I spent the whole time trying to compose a tweet about how A.D. Bryant is an asshole. No! <laughs> She's lovely. How dare you? I know, but for I some mean, reason, she anymore. was an asshole and I just needed to like tweet about it. That was the majority of my dream. It was very odd and also very odd that you'd bring that up right now. Very upsetting. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So in addition to the poster, Rosie also has a song, which actually preceded the poster. So this is the first Rosie the Riveter pop culture reference. And it was written by Red Evans and John Jacob Loeb in 1942, two dudes, obviously. And here are the lyrics. I don't know the melody, so I'm just going to read the lyrics to you. We're going dry with this one. Make up a melody. All the day long, whether rain or shine, she's a part of the assembly line. She's making history, working for victory. (laughs) Rosie, the riveter. Oh, (laughs) the riveter. (laughs) (laughs) Cardi, the riveter. (laughs) Keeps a sharp. Rosie, Rosie. Keeps a sharp lookout for sabotage, sitting up there on the fuselage. That little frail can do more than a male can do. Rosie, the riveter. Yes. Oh, Rosie's got a boyfriend, Charlie. Okay. 
Charlie, he's a Marine. Rosie is protecting Charlie, working overtime on the riveting machine. When they gave her a production E, she was as proud as a girl could be. There's something true about red, white, and blue about Rosie. The Riveter. Yes. (laughs) Nice. I like it. It's only dripping with sexism, and I love it. Uh huh. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So, as many as dripping. Drip in with misogyny. (laughs) As many as 543 women died in war-related incidents during World War II, even though U.S. military and political leaders at the time had decided not to use women in combat before the war even started due to bad optics. But that didn't stop them from being killed. Um, Mm -hmm. But in 1948, the Women's Armed Services Integration Act was passed, enabling women to serve as permanent, regular members of the armed forces in the Army, Navy, Marine Corps, and the Air Force. This this meant that women were allowed to serve as more than just nurses and in times other than just during war, like in regular co-ed military branches. They didn't need their own special organizations. It didn't need to Mm -hmm. be during war for them to just be nurses, you know? They, they were just enlisted people. Yeah, they were just humans. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in the end, Rosie the Riveter inspired a social movement that increased the number of working American women from 12 million to 20 million between 1940 and 1944, representing a 57% increase in just four years. Unmarried working women outnumbered unmarried working men by two and a half million. And Rosie represented not only working women in the war industry, but in every sector of the economy. The campaign not only boosted the economy, but also boosted workplace diversity because we don't really think about how rarely white Americans were working next to black Americans and Mm -hmm, Latinas mm -hmm. and Hispanic and Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. they this was sort of the first time in American history where they were all, it was kind of like the great equalizer because all yeah, the men were gone. gender diversity, there was also a lot of racial diversity that sometimes mm-hmm. gets overlooked. Yeah, and because the men were gone and the women had to work, a lot of times they would kind of join households. So like half of them would be raising all of their children while the other half were working. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They came up with a lot of like kind of workarounds that were just really, I don't know, just like, very different like, from previous generations and just like uh, progressive. Sure. Mm-hmm. Until 1946, when the men returned right? and all the women were fired based on gender discrimination, which still exists to this day. Exactly. Uh huh. So that's my segment. Nicely done. Uplifting note to end on. I really hope Rivets are an upcoming sponsor. (laughs) Brought to you by Metal. Rivets. Metal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. All right. And a word from our actual sponsors, whoever they may be. Every boob is different. Mm -hmm. Every boob is sacred. That is not even to say that every person's boobs are different, but like each boob, mm-hmm, boob mm-hmm. to boob, can each be different. Each individual boob yes. is yep. a snowflake. Yep, absolutely, and that's mm-hmm. why we are seriously in love with Third Love bras. Third mm-hmm. Love bras are designed to fit you and not the other way around. They are designed mm-hmm. with measurements from millions of people with boobs. Their bra styles are made to fit your life. 
Third Love has over 80 bra sizes, but they also know that the only one that matters is yours. Truth. You guys know from how often I mention it on the show, but I am not one to wear a bra unless it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. yeah. And even then. And even not always. And even then. <laughs> but Third Love has maybe converted me because these are mm-hmm. hands down the most comfortable bras you'll own. I have three or four pair now. I just keep accumulating mm-hmm. new ones because they're so good. They have straps that won't slip, tagless labels so it's not itchy and you don't have to like cut anything yeah. out of it. They are lightweight, super thin memory foam cups and they mold to your shape. This morning, I was working from home, but I put on a bra in the morning to just no, wear what? all day. I, yeah. That's yep. weird. I are swear. you okay? I swear. <laughs> I love Third Love. And I love That's that Third amazing. Love donates all of their gently used returned bras to women in need, supporting charities in their mm, local San Francisco Bay Area and across the United States. So far, Third Love mm-hmm. has donated over $15 million worth of bras. Wow. That's incredible. I love that. And Third Love knows that there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they are offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash gals now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. One more time, that's thirdlove.com slash gals for 15% off today. Treat your boobs. Treat them. If you have listened to this show, then you have definitely heard about this company that's making stylish shoes for all out of recycled plastic water bottles. Oh, and they are crazy comfortable and fully machine washable. Mm-hmm. These were like crafted by God herself. Yeah. <laughs> Rothy's has quickly grown to a most loved gotta have them brand. So it's no surprise that they have over a thousand nearly perfect reviews. They are stylish, sustainable, comfortable, washable, really all in one. Just the perfect pair of shoes. They are perfect flats for life on the go. Lucy, tell us more. Uh, <laughs> if any of you listening follow us on social media, and you see us on tour, it's comical when we mm-hmm. do our laundry and we're all washing all of our Rothy's shoes. We yep. were in LA recently. Collectively, between the three of us, I think we had 10 pairs of Rothy's. And that was just Easily. the shoes that we packed to bring. Yeah. Yep. yep. Big time. They're mm-hmm. so great for airports, for air travel, for every day. I wear mm-hmm. them in the middle of winter just because they're so mm-hmm. comfortable. Not to say that my feet don't get cold because they are flats, but like I don't care. I don't care either. Mm -hmm. It's worth the sacrifice. Rothy's Mm -hmm. are seamlessly knit using thread made from plastic water bottles. So they're ultra comfortable as soon as you slip them on. And I know that shoes made out of like recycled plastic water bottles, that doesn't sound comfortable, but trust. They are. Trust trust us on this. This is the only pair of flats I have ever owned that did not give me blisters. I kid you not. And there is zero break-in period in these shoes. They are comfortable from the second you first put them on. And people don't believe me. I'm like, here, touch. Touch, touch my shoes I've been wearing all day. On. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the amount of people we've accosted on the street or in the airport just imploring them to touch our shoes <laughs> is too high. <laughs> yeah, they're comfy. 
So check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com forward slash gals, G-A-L-S. Go to rothys.com, that's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash gals to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash gals today. Treat your feet. Treat them. Are you ready to hear about one of the baddest bitches that ever was? Yes. Virginia Hall was born in 1906 to an old money family in Baltimore, Maryland. Virginia was spirited and adventurous from a young age and often expressed distaste for her family's expectations that she enter society and settle down with a wealthy husband from a good family. Virginia's hobbies were also not those of a proper debutante. She loved hunting and reportedly once showed up to school wearing a bracelet made of live snakes. Yes. <laughs> okay. I love her. She was an OG spooky little bitch. Oh, I love this that. OG SLB. <laughs> OG SLB. That's going to be my knuckle tattoo. <laughs> You have one on your thumb? I mean, I don't know. I'll just put OG on the middle fingers of my left hand. Right hand. You could do OG. You just have to have the O higher up on the thumb. OG, SLB. Can you just not get knuckle tattoos? Oh, I could just do OG on, yeah, on one hand stacked and then SLB on the other fingers. Don't worry. I got this. I got this. Let's move on. We're workshopping it. Let's think about it. Okay. So despite her rebelliousness, Virginia excelled academically and after high school went on to briefly attend both Radcliffe and Barnard College where she showed... Yeah, she was fucking smart, where she showed an impressive capacity for languages studying French, Italian, and German. Mm. She then chose to travel to Europe to complete her studies and immerse herself in foreign languages, spending time in France, Germany, and Austria. I think you can see where this is going. I wonder. She fell in love with Adolf Hitler. No, I'm kidding. No! Um, Oh, God. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) She fell in love with life abroad and decided that she wanted to become a diplomat, which was no easy feat at the time as only Six of the 1,500 U.S. diplomats at the time were women. Great. Shocker. Six. S-I-X. Six. Still, in what seemed to be a good first step towards her goal, so she, like, wasn't deterred. She's like, I don't care. I'm going to be the fucking seventh. Like, let's go. I thought you said wasn't a turd. <laughs> I was like, well, that's one way to say she it. was under a turd. <laughs> she wasn't a turd. She was far from a turd. She was excellent. Um <laughs> and also not deterred. So <laughs> In 1931, Virginia got a job as a desk clerk at the American Embassy in Warsaw, Poland. A couple years later, however, when she was just 27 years old, her career ambitions suffered a significant setback when she accidentally shot herself in the leg while bird hunting in Turkey. Ironic. Oh, dear. 
where she had been sent on a work assignment. That's a little embarrassing. Stupid. Maybe don't tell people that. In Turkey, no less. (laughs) (laughs) Who was the dumbass who shot himself hunting? Dick Cheney. Oh, Dick God. Cheney no, he, like, shot, shot his, his friend. friend in the head oh, while hunting, yeah. but the friend survived. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Way worse. Yeah. All right. You know what? If you're around guns often enough, it's bound to happen, is Probably. my thought. It's only a matter of time. Don't email us. Okay. The injury to her leg was so severe that the limb eventually had to be amputated from the knee down and oh. replaced with a wooden prosthetic. Wow. Damn. Mm. She named her wooden leg Cuthbert. Oh, my God. Ah. Yes. Ah. <laughs> Cuthbert. <laughs> okay. That'll be Lucy's knuckle tattoo, Cuthbert. Yes. What did she name her tapeworm? No. <laughs> she didn't, I hope. Chauncey. Wrong answer. His name is Chauncey. <laughs> Wrong answer. All right. Virginia's recovery and rehabilitation was a painful years-long ordeal, mainly because like medicine was not what it is today. And also pro- yeah. <laughs> and also prosthetics were super not what they are today. Sure. Um but one that she would later look on as a turning point that made her even more determined to achieve her goal of entering the foreign service. So she basically was just like, okay, whatever. I'm more of a badass now. Get it. Thank you, next. (laughs) However, when she applied a few years after her accident, she was told that only, quote, able-bodied people were considered for diplomatic positions. Fuck that ableist bullshit. Yeah, like OG ableism. Virginia was furious at the blatant discrimination, but became resigned to the fact that she needed to change career course, but she was still super fucking ambitious. Mm -hmm. And then World War II broke out. Mm. Absolutely fearless, Virginia volunteered to drive ambulances for the French army during the Nazi invasion. Holy shit. Yeah, which didn't last very long because, like, the French didn't have much of an army to speak of, but still, it was very dangerous. And she continued volunteering on the front line until France surrendered and she was forced to flee to Britain. One, because she's an American, and two, because she was helping the French army and didn't want to live under Nazi occupiers. Sure, sure, sure. Makes sense. Yeah. It was here that she had a chance encounter, which was like straight out of the fucking movies, that would change her life. Virginia met a British spy on a train platform somehow. Meet cute. Yeah. (laughs) The ultimate meet cute. (laughs) Who was impressed with her bravery and eagerness to be involved in the war effort. This person put her in touch with a senior officer in Britain's newly formed secret service, which was then called the Special Operations Executive or SOE. Mm Mm-hmm. The timing could not have been better. The SOE was reluctant to hire women and even previously had had a rule forbidding them from being sent into enemy territory. But 
At this point, they had been trying and failing to infiltrate agents into Nazi-occupied France for over six months, Mm. and they were really fucking desperate, and so therefore they were able to, they were ready to, like, bend their own rules and try something new. So they finally were like, huh, maybe it'd be easier for women to infiltrate because Mm. no one would suspect them. Right. So after being trained in, quote, clandestine tradecraft, communications, weapons, and other resistance activities. Virginia was sent back into occupied France, this time as an official British spy. Mm. She would spend 13 months there undercover, organizing a network of informants and passing relevant intelligence to the British government. Virginia was, according to many accounts, a natural. Get it. Did she hide knives um, in Cuthbert? <laughs> I she, hope so. she probably hid a whole bunch of shit in Cuthbert. I mean, like you I do. would. Yeah. The original hollow wooden leg. leg. It's not just for wine. No. <laughs> not anymore, ladies. <laughs> According to Craig Grally, who is a retired CIA officer, and he recently wrote a biography of Virginia, quote, She, to a certain extent, was invisible. She was able to play on the chauvinism of the Gestapo at the time. None of the Germans early in the war necessarily thought that a woman was capable of being a spy, let Mm -hmm. alone a woman with... This is my own... That's the end of quote, and now Mm -hmm. my comment. Let alone a woman with a visible disability. For the record, though, it's extraordinarily easy to play on the chauvinism of men. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially fascists. It's the yeah. oldest trick in the book. <laughs> Absolutely. That's our trade craft that we were practically <laughs> taught in school. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you thought this was your idea? Mm-hmm. That's cute. That's cute. So Virginia Hall used her gender and the misogyny of the day to her advantage. She conducted her intelligence missions out of the French city of Lyon. She cultivated a network of female informants, persuading nuns (gasps) in the local convent to help her. Yes, 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 yes. Sound of music. How do you solve a problem like Virginia? Cuthbert. Cuthbert, (laughs) as well as befriending the uh, madam of a brothel who passed her information that sex workers obtained from German troops who used their services. God, yes. God, yes. I love. Yes. Uh, Yeah. uh, Hall eventually also took on a role organizing resistance fighters, coordinating access to safe houses for them and passing them relevant intelligence. I would have been such a fucking baby. Mm-hmm. I would have like been so anxious at, to the point of like really not even being able to do this for even an hour. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's scary shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when her activities began to attract the notice of the Germans, they still had no idea of her real identity and referred to her as the limping lady. Oh, Lord. Okay. So, like, first they knew intelligence was was leaking. Then eventually they figured out, okay, multiple people have, you know, through the grapevine, we've heard that it's a, a woman with a limp. 
but it's not like they knew it was her or they knew what her name was or even what her nationality was. Right. To evade being detected and detained slash tortured and certainly killed by Germans. Et cetera. Yeah. Virginia constantly changed her appearance, sometimes Mm -hmm. wearing as many as four different disguises in a single day. Oh, honey. That's that's a lot of wigs to wash. I can't even brush my hair every day. I didn't brush my teeth until 12.05 today. Yep. I'm seeing a pattern with you. Couldn't do it. Couldn't (laughs) do it. It happens. I like to sleep in. I like to have my coffee first and then brush my teeth. Yep. Yup. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kenyon gets she me. Also, she also had a roster of rotating aliases to match each of these disguises. So she was multiple people at once. Also, there are there are a ton of photos of her on the drive. Obviously, none of them are like her in disguise because you're not really like posing for portraits. Right. That makes but sense. She can look remarkably different in different photos, I think. But Virginia's situation became even more perilous when the infamous Klaus Barbie. <laughs> Excuse me. Mattel. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> real name, not a terrible Mattel toy of a German <laughs> Nazi torturer. Wow. Klaus Barbie. <laughs> Klaus Barbie. Can you even imagine? Veterinarian <laughs> Klaus Barbie. <laughs> Surfing Klaus, Klaus Barbie. Barbie. Klaus Barbie Malibu House. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, so Klaus Barbie was a Gestapo official also known as the Butcher of Lyon. Jesus Christ. Cool. For Ever for heard his, of it? Ever heard of him for his personal involvement, torturing French prisoners. So he was a sick fuck. Okay. I'm imagining that the Christoph Waltz character in is Klaus Barbie uh, is based on Klaus Barbie in my mind. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. Fuck. I didn't do any research, but that's what I'm picturing. There's no way to know. So. Klaus took special notice of her. Klaus Barbie ordered wanted posters plastered around Lyon with a drawing of Virginia or like her description above the text, quote, the enemy's most dangerous spy. We must find and destroy her. Oof. But like kind of cool. Badass. That's so fucking badass. Most dangerous spy. Yeah. More smartest, most dangerous. Why would it be real easy? <laughs> what? Talking up your kid here. <sighs> Sometime around the end of 1942, the Gestapo came frightfully close to capturing Virginia, but she was able to pull off a narrow escape to Spain by walking for three days in heavy snow over the Pyrenees Mountains. <gasps> in high heels, probably. With one Pro- leg. Yeah, yep. this goddess had one leg. Get it? She sound of with Cuthbert. Jesus, poor Cuthbert. <laughs> she, yeah, she literally fucking sound of music her way out of there on her own. Shit. In those like shitty World War II shoes that I'm yeah. sure. Ugh. 
Not cute, not cozy. Not Rothy's. Not Rothy's. Uh, In the course of researching his biography, Craig Grally decided to retrace part of her escape route. And despite him being a regular marathon runner with like modern footwear, he found the trek unbearably difficult and like almost didn't make it. Classic. Little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I just, oh, she's just so badass. I have like literal chills. Yeah. He concluded, quote, I could only imagine the kind of will and the kind of perseverance that Virginia Hall had by making this trek, not on a beautiful day, but in the dead of winter and with a prosthetic leg that she had to drag behind her. Mm -hmm. Drag behind her? Shouldn't she be using her leg? Yes, she's using it, but they're not very intuitive pieces of equipment at that point. So I have to imagine that after a while, it's basically like dragging extra weight yeah Yeah. it was just a it was just a piece of wood yeah basically with like a strap like it was not the prosthetics that we have today right obviously it was probably it was probably heavy yeah yeah then having made it over the mountains virginia was arrested at the border crossing into spain for not having the proper entrance visa don't they Mm. know who she is well, I Spain, hope not. Isn't the point Spain, that they don't know? I know that was the joke. <laughs> Spain at the time was like not technically in the war, but they were fascist and they were definitely mm-hmm. like allies of the Nazis, mm-hmm. more or less. So it's not like she was going, it's not like she crossed the border and everything was good. Right. After being detained for six weeks, she was finally released and began making her way back to Britain. But upon reaching safety there, Virginia soon became bored with (laughs) civilian life. Can you blame (laughs) her? (laughs) I know. But then she wanted to return to France. She was Mm. like, send me back in, coach. (laughs) I only only threw three interceptions. Put me back in, coach. (laughs) It's definitely a quote from my husband sleep talking. Oh, Oh, no. I was like, what? How do you know what an interception is? (laughs) Literally, Zach talks. The idea of Zach dead asleep mumbling (laughs) that. He talks so much in his sleep, and that was the funniest one. Put me in, coach. Put me back in, coach. I only threw three interceptions. My partner groans weirdly in his sleep, and it's not nearly as cute. It's, like, Uh, really scary. (laughs) (laughs) So, there's that. There's that tidbit. Do with that what you will. Yep. Okay, so she begged to return to France, but the higher-ups at the SOE refused, insisting that her cover had been blown and that it was too dangerous, which, like, it was, actually. Mm-hmm. That, that wasn't misogyny, I don't think. Mm-hmm. At the same time, however, the Americans were working to increase their own intelligence network in occupied France with the newly formed Office of Strategic Services, like Lucy mm-hmm. mentioned. Hall saw the opportunity to return to spying and the OSS needed someone with her experience. To get around the fact that the Nazis were on the lookout for someone who matched Hall's description and were likely like familiar with many of her aliases, they didn't know, like she didn't know which of her aliases specifically had sure. been blown. Right. To make it even harder. 
Um, Virginia then worked to become even more skilled at camouflaging her real appearance. Hell yes. According to one source, she, quote, got some makeup artist to teach her how to draw wrinkles on her face. She also got a fierce, rather sort of scary London dentist to grind down her lovely white American teeth so that she looked like a French milkmaid. Damn. She sacrificed her teeth. Holy shit. Yeah. That's, I, oh. That is a scary image, and also, I love it. Mm-hmm. She this was bitch then is able extra to, as fuck. Yeah. She was then able to successfully return to France in 1944, this time spying for the Americans through the rest of the war. She cultivated a network of 1,500 people and took an even larger role in organizing resistance fighters who engaged in guerrilla warfare tactics such as blowing up bridges and were able to reclaim several villages from the Nazis before the Allied troops were able to officially liberate larger swaths of the French countryside. Wow. After the war, Virginia returned to the U.S. with her new husband, a French-American soldier who had been a part of her network of spies. Why isn't this a movie yet? Right? What? Is this guy the one she met on the train platform? I don't know, but let's say yes let's just say for the yes. purposes of it this. Is. Oh. I need that to be real. <laughs> <laughs> And How yet, dare you? <laughs> side of chili. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, according to her niece, who was 16 at the time of her return, Virginia never spoke about her time in France. Wow. British, French, and American intelligence all later recognized Virginia Hall's significant contributions to the Allied victory in World War II. She was awarded a Distinguished Service Cross by the head of the OSS, and President Truman wanted to organize a White House ceremony to publicly honor her. But Virginia declined, saying that she wished to remain undercover. Oh, oh my God. She's yeah. so deep in it. She's Fucking such a spy. Ride or die. Yeah. I love her. Mm-hmm. Virginia decided to join the newly formed CIA, which took the place of the OSS, and worked there at their headquarters for 15 years. According to several sources, Virginia was mostly unhappy in her role there. She missed the autonomy and adventure of being a wartime spy out on her own in the field. That'd be hard to go back from. It'd be like being on a self-guided podcast adventure for years and then Mm. needing to go back to bartending. (laughs) Let's not jinx ourselves. It's my greatest fucking fear. (sighs) Mama got goals. Mama want to pay off her student loans. So this Mm -hmm. podcast better last. Okay. Mama is so close to paying off her student loans. I just need to go a little more. Just a little more. Okay. Mama is not close. Then we better stop quoting Drop Dead Gorgeous at the drop of a hat. No, it (laughs) works. Nope. Ride or die. Ride or die. Frequently problematic. (laughs) We're acknowledging how problematic it is, and we are also acknowledging 
that Alice and Janney is a queen. Okay. Oh, absolutely. And maybe ironically, she also faced much more gender discrimination in the traditional workplace environment than she had when she was an undercover spy. Mm-hmm. As CIA historian Randy Burkett said in an NPR interview, quote, was she treated properly? Well, by today's standards, absolutely not. Yeah. Can you imagine being like, I was the most dangerous spy in France in and World now War you're II. trying to fuck with me. And now you want me to bring coffee to the meeting? You fuck? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh, my God. Virginia Hall retired from the CIA in 1966 because the mandatory age of retirement was 60. And she passed away in Maryland in 1982. She never published an account of her role in the war or spoke publicly about her experiences. In many ways, she was a spy until the end and never in it for the publicity. I'm always in it for the publicity. This is why I could <laughs> never be a spy. You'd be oh, the never. worst the spy. The fucking worst yeah. spy anyone has ever known. You, worst you would spy. Be. Yeah. Worse yeah. than Austin Powers. Oh, yeah. No one's yeah. arguing this. Amanda would be the worst. I would be the second worst because of my back and love for, like, skincare regimens. And mm-hmm. Lucy would be the best. Mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. too lazy. I just don't care enough. That's fair. <laughs> About... About the I'll free never world. care enough to fight about fight for anything. No. Am I right? Let someone else <laughs> okay. do it. <laughs> a quote from Virginia is on display at the CIA museum, which is closed to the public. It's Ooh. just for fellow CIA. So folks. What is the fucking point? <laughs> <laughs> to inspire what CIA. A, people. No, what about the gift it. shop? So stupid. Can we access God, I, the gift shop? I wonder if it has a gift shop. There's no way to know. If you know, send us an anonymous email. Uh, So this quote that's on display reads, quote, many of my friends were killed for talking too much. Oh, we'd be dead. We would be dead within 15 seconds. Oh, yeah. But also, that's her quote in the museum. (laughs) I love that. She's so fucking badass. Yeah. She's so scary. In the years after her death, Hull achieved a strange level of fame where she was extremely well known within the intelligence community as one of America's greatest spies of all time, but largely unknown to the outside world. But this has all changed just in this past year. Well, not 2020, but 2019. The CIA renamed the building where they train recruits, the Virginia Hall Expeditionary Center. Expeditionary Mm. Hall. Expeditionary (laughs) Hall. Hall of Halls. (laughs) Three biographies of Hall have recently been published, and two movies, thank God, are currently in the works. One of them, starring Daisy Ridley, who I had to Google, is the Star Wars chick. Oh! You know, like the it. new generation of Star Ray, Wars. The yeah. Star Wars chick? Ray. The robot? Oh. No, oh, my I don't God. Know. I've Ray, never seen any of it. I don't. Ridley. I've never seen a Star Wars movie. I never will. Ugh. She doesn't even look familiar. She's pretty. She's 
She's not Hans Solo. No. <laughs> I'm upset. I think. Okay. Is she a Skywalker? <laughs> no. <sighs> I mean. She's not Princess Leia? Or I, I can't she? answer that question, the Skywalker she, question, without giving things away. So we're done she, with well, this conversation. We don't so care. spoilers don't happen. I assume is she, she Princess dies Leia's mom? No, she doesn't. Okay. Wouldn't she, be, wouldn't she be pissed about all this attention? She didn't want well, it. I know, but she's dead now. So Yeah, who does it hurt? When Hall's niece was asked how her aunt would feel about her long mm, overdue recognition, <laughs> she responded, quote, she would absolutely hate it. She was not the... L- <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was not looking at your nose. <laughs> She was not the least bit interested in fame or recognition. She did her work because she loved the excitement of it all. She was an outdoorsman, I would say, outdoors woman, and outdoors an extreme person. Outdoors person. Outdoors and king or queen good, or both or neither. And an extremely <laughs> good organizer. And she just wanted to do her job. Yeah. Although the niece added, "Quote." I think it's great that she's finally being found, so to speak, and accredited for her work because she was pretty darn fabulous. Oh, that's so wholesome. I got chills. I know. Isn't that amazing? I cannot Uh, wait to read some of these books about her. And watch this movie because holy shit, this is going to be fucking awesome. I'm pumped. Yeah. Yeah. The Star Trek movie is going to be rad. This new Star Trek Wars movie about World War II <laughs> is going to be so sick. Yeah. Are the starring Hobbits Lucy in it? Skywalker. The ho- the, starring the Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Somewhere a really, really intense nerd is just like losing their shit Steam right now. is just coming out of their ears. Mm. Ironically, I have read The Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, all not, of it? Yeah, I'm just not well, at the all The Hobbit is not that long. Lord of the Rings is really yeah, fucking long. I've only read The Hobbit. Yeah. All right. Well, it was trash. Let's hear, <laughs> let's hear a word from our sponsors while I get that taste out of my mouth. All right, y'all. We made it. The holidays came and went so fast and they'll be missed. But we also think it's time to just throw on some comfy pants Make room for all of the mm-hmm. Christmas cookies and the Hanukkah gelt and everything else you mm-hmm. consumed and chill Stretch out. Stretch your belt for the gelt. <laughs> 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 me, me Undies wants you to treat yourself to some self-care and truly relax after all that hustle and bustle in the softest undies and loungewear on earth. Literally so soft, it should be illegal. Yeah, between my partner and I, we have several matching onesies now. I just my my New Year's Eve outfit this year was a donut onesie from MeUndies. <laughs> You're so cute it in that works onesie. For all occasions. I love it so much. I love the onesies and I love this underwear. And like Kenyon with her bras, I was underwear panty averse Mm -hmm. for a long time. (laughs) Not a fan. (laughs) And I just love MeUndies underwear. I usually get the like the booty cut. So you can kind of see what, you know, Mm -hmm. my parents gave me. (laughs) And they don't ride up. They Mm -hmm. don't cause like massive, huge panty lines. They just kind of softly hug your booty 
Yeah. And just stay there. They don't they give you those flawless. they don't give you those weird lines that just remind you of how much yeah. weight you feel like you've packed on over the holidays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're really truly the most comfortable underwear I own. And MeUndies wants you to know that they will bring you some real comfort in the chilly months ahead because it ain't over, people. <laughs> We're just getting started mm-hmm. on winter. Um, in sizes extra small to 4XL with plenty of brand new products, the options for getting cozy are endless. And when they say cozy, they mean it. With undies that are three times softer than cotton in the cutest wintry prints and colors. That's real soft. Mm-hmm. I also love their socks. I got my partner yes. a ton of pairs oh, of their socks yeah. for Christmas. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. So they do have a bunch of different prints, colors, and styles. So over this cold, wintry season, you can cozy up in their new robes for all. Uh, Their soft new slippers, literally slippers. And of course, you can match the whole fam with their cute new baby bodysuit. Oh, swaddle me. My ovaries. You can also get, uh, I have like bandanas for my pets. So yeah. you can literally make the whole family match. It's so amazing. Cute. So they have brand new prints and cozy new products, and MeUndies has you comfy and covered all winter long. Yeah. So MeUndies has a great offer for our listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. This is a no-brainer, people, especially because they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. I'll double that guarantee. You're going to be satisfied. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to love it. So to get your 15% off your first pair, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to meundies.com forward slash gals. That's G-A-L-S. One more time. That is meundies.com forward slash gals. And treat your bum. Trade it. Trade it. So back in the day when I was a young pre-diabetic child. Young lad. When you were a, a young warthog. Yeah, when I was a young warthog, uh, I, I've always loved cereal, but I always, I mean, I was a kid, so I love the like fruity pebbles type cereals yeah. that are just not great for really any part of you. No. Um, but like, I still find myself nostalgic for these cereals and know that I should not buy them ever. Mm-mm. And now that we're adulting, some childhood memories seem a little out of reach, like the treats that we used to enjoy that just do not sit the same way on your hip that they mm-hmm. did when you were a kid. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, picking out your favorite sugary cereal as a kiddo before you were told to avoid extra carbs and sugar-free cereals are like bland and dry and they just get soggy too fast. And then if you try to get the healthy, like the grape nuts, I mean, it's just, it's rough. It's not Mm -hmm. delicious. And you know, you got to drink your cereal milk. You don't want to drink gross, bland cereal milk. That's true. No. It's the best part. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is all changing thanks to the cereal school because the cereal school lets you eat like a kid again with delicious, low carb, sugar free, high protein cereal. It is all the flavors you loved cinnamon bun, fruity, cocoa, mm. peanut butter, mm. and more to come. It's low in carbs. There's no guilt. It's just fun, delicious snacking that won't blow your macros. And they come in these little, like, individual packs, so you don't have to fret over serving sizes. It's so convenient. I love it. Yeah, I love those little single-serve packaging because you can just throw Mm -hmm. it in your bag, snack on the go. Also, if you have children, it's great for kids snacking so they're not Mm -hmm. overloaded with all that sugar that we were blissfully unaware of when we were eating all of our favorite Mm -hmm. cereals. Yeah, it's incredible. Also, did you know that the cereal school cereals are naturally sweetened with zero glycemic monk fruit? It's fruit. Mm, There's no artificial that. sweeteners, zero sugar substitutes. 
So and they, cool. They really do taste like your favorite childhood cereals. And like Amanda said, mm-hmm. they like flavor that milk, baby. That's the best mm-hmm. part. Yes. And if you are a late night snacker like I am, guilt free. You can reward mm-hmm. yourself. It's great for morning. Great for, you know, 10 p.m. Whenever. I love it. Yeah. It's the best. The Cereal School is a healthy and delicious snack that fits perfectly with your nutritional needs. And our listeners can get $5 off and free shipping when you go to thecerealschool.com and use that promo code GALS, G-A-L-S. The Cereal School is so confident that they offer a risk-free satisfaction guarantee on all orders. The only way to get $5 off and free shipping is to go to thecerealschool.com and use our promo code GALS. That's T-H-E-C-E-R-E-A-L-S-C-H-O-O-L.com. I can spell school. Forward slash gals, the cereal school. Enjoy cereal like a kid again. Do it. True crime may be our passion, but even we need the occasional break Uh from the crime and the darkness. So when we feel like we need a mental palate cleanser, our go-to refresher is Best Fiends. Mm-hmm. And while Best Fiends has challenging puzzles, it is a casual game that anyone can play, but it is made for adults. Yes, it is made for adults. <laughs> and I am an adult, and I play this game. And yeah, it is casual, but I'm real intense about my Best Fiends <laughs> you playing. Are. I am currently on level 1065. Nice. Yeah. I have been so deeply engrossed in the current like holiday theme where you collect little gifts and then it unlocks like special presents and stuff for you. It's so fun. I love it. I'm just always excited to play this and it has all these cool little like side quests and mini games. There's so many different characters that you can collect that it just doesn't get boring or monotonous. Every level challenges your brain in a different way. So I don't feel like I'm just sitting and pressing a button like I actually have to strategize and figure out which character is going to help me you know be successful in which level and it's like very puzzle heavy and I love that kind of game trust me I play a lot of games on my phone and Best Fiends is always my number one go-to so get on my level play this super unique and exciting puzzle experience that's unlike any other puzzle games out there it never gets old you can play it with or without internet so I'll play it on the airplane if you you take a train or a bus to work this is a great way to just like blast through your commute don't play it while you're driving Mm-mm. but you know so yeah it's awesome it's amazing i love it engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters trust me with over 100 million downloads this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right. So as we discussed, out of World War II came a lot of valiant tales of heroism, mostly about men and mostly about combat. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to tell the story of the astounding Faye Schulman, who was a yes. Jewish photographer during World War II and was a hero for reasons that may not make for a great action film like Kenyon's story, but still shaped how we tell the story of World War II for all of fucking history. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> Schulman, take us to Schul. Take us to Schul. Neve Schulman. So, <laughs> no. 
Faye was born in Eastern Poland, which is now Belarus and basically was like handed over to the Germans by Lenin in 1918, which is another episode entirely. But a lot of these folks in seated states consider themselves first and foremost Russian and Faye and her fam were no different. Mm-hmm. In 1919, two years after my grandmother was born, root beer. Jesus. <laughs> living Jesus. a quiet life with her six brothers and sisters. Um, at a young age, she took a liking to photography and shadowed her older brother, Moish, who had his own photography business. So they were Moisha. slaying. Oh, Moisha. I love the name Moish, and I vote I'm, for Moish. <laughs> it's both. Tomato to Moish. In 1942, Nazis came to Faye's town with the intention of rounding up and killing the Jews in the area. Not funny part anymore. You have to stop laughing now. We were laughing about the previous sentence and then you went right into a dark place. I had to. It's World War II. Um, They imprisoned the Jewish people of Lenin, killing thousands, including Faye's parents, sisters, and brother. Faye, however, was spared primarily because of her photography prowess. Did Moish get killed? We'll get to it. She was forced at the hands of Nazis to photograph and develop the photographs and develop the photographs of the Lenin massacre. Faye. Oh, my God. Yeah, it gets worse. Uh, Though this was undoubtedly a sickening and horrific task, she literally had to develop photos of her own murdered family. Oh. Dear God. Yup. But did as she was told and kept copies of some of the photos that she had made for herself, likely knowing that one day these stories would need to be told and not through, like, the lens of Nazi revisionist history. The lens of Lenin. A Mm. Leninist lens. Well, Lenin also being the town that she was, like, living in. The opposite of a Leninist lens, but yeah, Yeah. not good. So popping up all over Nazi-occupied Europe were partisan units who took up arms to resist the Nazi regime. Um, The Holocaust Encyclopedia, which is a website powered by the Holocaust Museum, writes, quote, Despite great obstacles, Jews throughout occupied Europe attempted armed resistance against the Germans and their Axis partners. They faced overwhelming odds and desperate scenarios, including lack of weapons and training, operating in hostile zones, parting from family members, and facing an ever-present Nazi terror, yet thousands resisted by joining or forming partisan units. Among them was Faye Schulman. Fuck yes. Yeah. So one day during a resistance-led raid, Faye, still being ordered to photograph horrific scenes by her Nazi captors, took a huge risk and fled into the woods where she met members of the raiding militia, the Molotova Brigade. This militia of resistors was made up of mostly escaped Soviet prisoners of war, as well as Jews who had escaped from Nazi labor camps. But these militants were not welcoming to just anyone um, as their missions were highly dangerous and, like, they actually wanted very skilled people. They wouldn't just mm-hmm. like take in anybody, which is rough, yeah. but also makes a lot of sense if they're going to fucking get shit done. Well, yeah, they don't want someone accidentally giving them away or slowing them down. Exactly. Faye, however, had another skill that would come in handy, medicine. Her brother-in-law had been pra- had been a practicing doctor and clever Faye had picked up several tricks of the trade. Even without official medical training, she still had more skills in treating human patients than the current malicious doctor who was a veterinarian. Clever so, Faye. Yeah. Fucking being part of the resistance in World War II was basically being like in The Walking Dead, like a zombie apocalypse. 
You just yeah. like band together using the skills you have the best you can and hope to survive and like save other people along the way. It's fucking crazy. It's so, oh my God, it just, oh, it's so stressful. But also yeah. she must have picked up a lot to have mm-hmm. more medical skills than a veterinarian. Like I don't have a brother-in-law, but if I did, it's not like I would know about his job. I think she spent, a. by the time the Nazis occupied her town and like moved her into a ghetto she was in her 20s so i think she actually did spend a decent amount of time not only working with her brother um in photography but i think she also worked in her brother-in-law's clinic oh okay okay. so like i think she was around it a considerable amount of time and being 20 and like 1940 is the same as like being 40 now you like had to have skills and there was enough of like a run-up to the war like maybe he thought in his mind like Ev- like she should know these skills. Sure. I, it could be any no- one of those things. There's actually not a whole lot about her on the internet. Before the war. Yeah. So mm. who knows? There's no way to know. But anyway, Faye stayed with the Molotova Brigade as a nurse for years. And on one of their missions brought back, uh, they were brought back to her hometown of Lenin. And she was actually able to recover a great deal of her photography equipment during this raid and decided to put it to good use documenting the life of a partisan fighter and giving the world a true history of what it was like to fight in the resistance during the war. Faye was, yeah. uh, And there are photos that she took on the drive and they are unbelievable. Like Mm. there are whole exhibits that travel of just her work Mm. and it's her work is so fucking good. And she got a lot of images that like, nobody else got so there's there's one image that i didn't put on here but that i was reading about that she took of uh like jewish resistance soldiers being buried next to like russian defectors who like had left because mm. i think i i don't know a ton about world war ii but there was a considerable amount of like russian aid to the nazi well at at first the russians signed the non-aggression pact with the Nazis saying that they were going to stay out of it. Mm -hmm. And then the Nazis betrayed them and Mm -hmm. invaded. And then Russia joined the allies. So yeah, there was occupation and I know that there, but, but this image, what I was reading about it was that like, it was so unheard of for these two very different types of people to be buried next to each other. But that Mm. like, as they became comrades in arms in these partisan groups, then like they the like the partisan fighters would make the decision to bury them like together because they had fought together oh. and that was, was like a super like big deal substantial anti-semitism yeah. within Russia for hundreds of years so yes. that makes sense okay yeah so i mean some of these images are just like really intense and amazing and i put a handful of them on the drive and it was fucking cool so Um, she was committed to sharing these stories, even creating her own methods of developing these photographs while on the road or in hiding, often developing the negatives, just like hiding under a blanket, like in the woods. Wow. Yeah. So considering that method as well, how beautifully these photographs turned out is like incredible. Um, but Faye also had to participate in combat and care for the partisan fighters on missions because she was a she was a nurse. So not wanting to lug damage or lose her equipment, she would bury it in the ground nearby before heading into battle and then return later to retrieve it unscathed. Oh my god. Smart. Yeah. Damn. 
She said of her work, quote, I want people to know there was a resistance. Jews did not go like sheep to the slaughter. I was a photographer. I have pictures. I have proof. Yes, queen. Uh-huh. Yeah. In 1945, in what must have felt like a miracle, Faye happened upon her brother, Moisha, <gasps> who <gasps> she had assumed was dead. <sighs> Very much alive, he had escaped the Nazis like his sister and had also joined a different partisan group. The two groups crossed paths, and not only did she have a warm reunion with her brother, but also met and later married his friend slash fellow partisan soldier, Morris Schulman. <gasps> Another the, Schulman? No, that's how she got the name Schulman. But that's just like the name that she uses in got all it. of her articles and stuff. Yeah. Got with it. The, not her maiden name. Okay. Yeah. With the war coming to an end, Faye and Morris wanted to continue to devote their lives to making a safe place for the Jews. Their dream was to immigrate to Israel, then Palestine. In order to leave their home of Russia, they would have to apply to immigrate. And while they waited for permission to leave the country, they had to live in a displaced persons camp in Germany. Jeez. So they waited there for two fucking years. Uh. Yeah. But this resistance power couple aren't just going to twiddle their thumbs during that time. They almost immediately got to work smuggling arms to Palestinian folks fighting for their independence. As civil unrest, however, in Palestine grew and Faye and Morris got pregnant, they made the decision that starting a family in Palestine was not a safe option for them. So instead, the two applied to go to Canada and permission was granted. Mm. The two opened a small business in Toronto and raised two children together. Faye is still living there now. And as uh, from she's all accounts alive? I can see, she's still alive. Because this was the last known city of residence for her, and I have not seen any articles or updates stating that she'd passed away, and she has, like, enough internet fame at this point that there would be something about it. Wow. So, fucking get it, girl. Um, she speaks openly about her time as a partisan fighter and encourages today's youth to stand up for their freedom. Quote, to Jewish kids, I would like to say, be proud to be Jewish. To non-Jewish kids, I would like to say, if there is a war and you have to fight, fight for freedom and don't be ashamed to be in the army. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, Faye also wrote a book that you might be interested in, Kenyon, called Partisan's oh, yeah. Memoir, Wim- Woman of the Holocaust. Writing it um, down. And yeah. Now. I read a little bit of it uh, in like the you can preview books and it looks it's not very long. It's only 200 pages, but it looks pretty badass in it. She wrote, quote, too many people have denied the Holocaust. Even more have perpetuated the myth of passivity, the fallacy that six million Jews went docilely to their deaths like lambs to the slaughter. It is important that future generations should know this to be untrue. In reality, wherever there was the slightest opportunity, Jews fought back. The Jewish people did their utmost to survive under unfathomably difficult circumstances in the forests, in the ghettos, and in the camps. We all fought for our lives and the lives of our loved ones. Many fought with weapons in hand in the ghettos as under ground fighters in occupied cities and villages as partisans in the forest and simply as individuals who resisted those who came to destroy them. Oh, yes. Yes. Queen queen. I so just, just read a this article to like, huh? Oh, I just read this article about these, uh, this man and this woman who met in, I forget one of the concentration camps mm-hmm. and, um, they had like a, a love affair in the camp basically and then both survived but were separated after mm. the war. And when, like, years later, when they finally were able to, like, find one another, they both had already married other people. And oh, now they're, they're both still alive. Fear. They're both still alive now, and they were attending um, 
are like slated to attend some, you know, anniversary event and like reconnected after all Did these years. Did both of their hus- their partners pass on of natural causes so. so that they can now just be together? Hopefully. I believe well, is it I know, is it bad that I'm hoping for that? <laughs> I I think that is the case. Yes. Oh. God it. bless yeah. it. Well, this case just serves as a reminder to like fucking vote in November and hang in there and band together because if Jews could survive in the woods and fucking fight for their freedom, we can do plenty to resist Trump. Yeah, you can fucking register to vote and vote. Mm -hmm. And also, also, there's been growing Mm anti-Semitism throughout the world, including in the United States. Big time. Including recent fucking devastating attacks. And you know what? It can happen everywhere. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And xenophobia right. and all the other things. Yep. Yep. Anyway, special thanks. Uh, <laughs> all right. This is a comedy podcast. <laughs> and genocide can happen anywhere. Yep. Special thanks to our uh, fan picker, uh, Michael Michael Scott. Michael Scott. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was a really interesting but also like easy to wrap our brains around and Mm -hmm. work on case and we love it yep topic thoroughly enjoyed it yeah thank you also to jordan roberts uh you'll miss every shot that you don't take michael jordan michael scott (laughs) okay that was um, wayne wayne gretzky Gretzky, but okay whatever michael jordan Uh, wayne gretzky michael scott (laughs) there we go thank you also to aaron r you are so generous, Aaron R. Hmm, thank you to Joel Hutchian. I've got a Hunchian that you're amazing. Mm. <laughs> thank you, Bethany Shumway. There must be Shumway for us to show <laughs> how grateful we are. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> thank you to Heather Gresler. I'm gonna get you in a Grizzler bear hug the next time we see you, Heather. Mm. I tried. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you to Steph Fowler. Um, we are not gonna run a foul of Ooh. you. <laughs> Thanks, Amanda Woods. We're not out of the woods yet because we have a hundred more people to thank in this special. Sure do. <laughs> Thank you to Kayla Eschler. I'm going to send you a, a, a sketchler. An MC Eschler painting. My Eschler sketch. Stephanie Forbes, you are in the Forbes 500 of our hearts. Yeah, you are. <laughs> oh, thank you, Magalie Saint Amour Belland. We Saint a love you for your Mm. (laughs) generosity. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Lauren Boyette. Boy, oh, Boyette, Lauren, what a lovely donation. Thank you, Samantha Parody. You are paradise. Mm. And also. Married to Johnny Depp, but also no longer married to Johnny Depp. Thank God. Thanks, Erica Arthur. King or queen or both or neither Arthur. Pull that sword (laughs) out. (laughs) 
that. Excalibur. Thanks. Thank you, Aaron Lazar. It's bizarre how much I <laughs> Lazar you. How bizarre. How Lazar. How Lazar. Thank you, Michelle Smith. That's a tough one. <laughs> That's a tough one. Mm, Michael <laughs> Smith. I You're got as sweet nothing. as a Granny Smith. Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie Questel. Our fears have been questelled. <laughs> we'll be able to okay. pay our bills this month with your generous donation. Thank God. Uh, oh, Katie over requested my daddy voice. Oh, it's God. not over, Katie over. Katie, why? I'll Katie. never be over you mm-hmm. and thank you to <laughs> Rochelle no last name you are the Rochelle on which this podcast was built mm. okay thank you Maria Succio 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 your donation doesn't suit it doesn't suit it doesn't Succio suit yourself Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Renee Williams. R- Renee, hardly know her. <laughs> Thank you, Alyssa Winterfelt. Um, the, something Game of Thrones reference. Winterfelt yes. is coming. Winterfell. Yep. Thank you, Atiana Daniel. I ought to show my gratitude. With a better pun, mm. but here we are. <laughs> Love it. Ooh, I'm really glad this landed on me because thank you, Amanda. Me. Ooh. Thank me. me. <laughs> I'm so thankful. Me. You're okay. welcome. Thank you, Jessica Urban. Keith Urban's wife. Keith <laughs> Urban's wife is Nicole Kidman. How dare oh. you? Well, whatever. <laughs> I think. I get them all confused. She's Next. married to some country bumpkin. I also just want to point out that Amanda still, even though I have not messed up once, Amanda is still <laughs> going through and highlighting only the names that I have to read. Yeah, that's yeah, why, that's you, why haven't you haven't up. messed up once. <laughs> yeah, I know my role. <laughs> oh, no thanks. one has a lower expectation. Things are going a lot faster this week, too, so you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Erica Reich. I am not going to reach for that low-hanging fruit for this particular nope. episode. Nope. Thank nope. you. Just nope. say you are nope. Reich as rain. Oh, There. Nice. Good job. Thank you, Vanessa Sears. I'd shop out of your catalog. <laughs> oh. Get it, Sears. Get yep. it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you, <laughs> Haley Prather. I could just prather on and on about how much I love you. I knew you were going to go there. I love it. (laughs) Thank you, Samantha Moreno. We'd have to be a bunch of Morans to reject your (laughs) donation. (laughs) Oh, wow. Thank you, Rachel Overton. You've gone overboard, Rachel Overton, Mm. with your tons of monies. Mm, Tons. (laughs) Tons. Thank you, Christina Betts. I bets you're the best. All bets are off. 
<laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Aaron Taylor. You are our Lord and Taylor. Oh. And savior. Lord and Savior, Lord some, and Taylor. I've got mm. some pants for you to hem, Aaron Taylor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you, Vivian Bernardo Hotten, Hotten, who wants to shout out their gateway gal, Clementine Turquoise. These are all amazing names. Vivian yeah. is sending Clementine a nice pap double hinged wine key from our online store. Because nice. Vivian is so hot, so hot right now. So hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to AJ. Mm. AJ, hopefully not my ex-boyfriend from seventh grade. Oh my Ooh, god. That'd be good it though. Totally that'd be is. good. I hope yep. it is. I he want it. If so, I'm so sorry. And please don't make any more heart-shaped collages for people. <laughs> All I remember uh, about AJ are his small glasses and he like sweat a lot and he always wore an unbuttoned button-up shirt but like unbuttoned. Yeah. Wasn't great and one time we went to the Mall of America and I got my period through my jean shorts and had to like tie a sweatshirt around my waist for like six hours. It wasn't great. Mm. (laughs) Good to see you AJ. All right. Thank Mm -hmm. you Jess Lane who increased their pledge from one to five dollars a month. That is a good lane to go down. Oh, I like yeah. that. We're glad you didn't stay in your lane, Jess Lane. Yeah, get out of your lane. Uh, and thank you, Samantha Ann. Samantha Ann also increased their donation. <laughs> God. <laughs> I like your increase. Liz Russ, no muss, no fuss, Russ, Liz created Russ. a tier of their own at $6 a month, giving us each an even $2 per month. Mm-hmm. We appreciate. Love it. Starting off our $10 a month tier, <laughs> Alexis will Dear be God. getting a free fucking <laughs> patriarchy flexible wine glass. Mm. Uh, Alexis. Alexis, send all, money. All my Alexis <laughs> live in Texas. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Oh, Thank you, nice. Elizabeth Lindloff. I'm gonna <laughs> just Lindloff into the sunset because I'm so <laughs> done with being alive. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Thank you, Madeline Lagerberg. I want to pop open a. Ice cold Lagerberg to thank you. I don't actually, I don't drink beer really. But thank you. (laughs) Nice. Good one. (laughs) Thank you, Christine Caldwell. We uh, would crawl into your cauldron of. Well wishes. Yeah. yeah. Mm, Thanks, Christine. (laughs) You got there. Thank you, Tara Roble. You are Uh, not terrible. No, Tara Ruble. You are. You're not terrible, Tara <laughs> oh, Ruble. No. <laughs> nice one, Kenya. You are terribly generous. <laughs> terribly uh, generous, <laughs> general. <laughs> Thank you, Zoe Claire. Uh, I want to eat an eclair, Zoe Claire. I, Clearly, I've run out of uh, brain space. Thank you so much. Clearly. Oh, God. Okay, starting off our $15 a month tier, our trash queen or king or both or neither tier, we got Holly Grewatch. 
Watch mm, out, how the Grewlock stole Christmas. <laughs> Watch for some trash <laughs> yeah. in the mail. <laughs> Thank you, Brooke Goral. I want to cleanse myself in your babbling brook. Mm, you get all that the Goral out of my creases. <laughs> okay, that was that was. <laughs> Specific. Thank you, yep. Kelsey Moriarty, who increased Ooh. from five to fifteen dollars a month, making them a trash queen or king or neither or both, and certainly not an evil mastermind. Thank you, Kelsey Moriarty. I was gonna say, isn't that the the villain from Sherlock Holmes? Yep. Yes, I'm smelled it. Or the guy Nailed from it. On the Road. Whatever. Okay, thank you, Aaron Gleason, <laughs> who also increased their pledge from five to fifteen bucks a month. I am filled with glee for that fact. Thank you, Aaron. Mm. And thank you, Lindsay Broughton, Broughton, who also increased their donation from ten to fifteen dollars a month, and they are Broughton us Broughten more it. support. Brought that donation Bro- up. Brought it on. Thank you, Kelly L. Thompson slash Hunter S. Thompson. Thank you for your name and middle and niche. And your fear and your loathing. And for donating at $25 a month. So send us your pics. Yes, email us, Kelly L. Thompson. Also email us, Anne Hildebrandt. That is a one hit. Spit, tall hill to hill to climb with a wooden leg. Yeah, mm. that's the hill to branch I will True. die on. <laughs> True. Also, if you like all my exes are afraid of commitment, you can make a once-off donation on our online store. As did Aaron Mountain. You're moving mountains, Aaron Mountain. Mm-hmm. With your ten dollar a month donation, it's a lot of mozzarella sticks, baby. Not a month, just a once-off. I mean, a ten dollar once-off because I just said it was once-off, but I'm drunk, so it's fine. Another once offer. We got a happy belated birthday to Laura Trinan. I am Trinan to keep it together, but I've had half a bottle of wine. Oh, yeah. That's how we roll. Nope. Last but not least, we got Paul Schultz with a very hefty once off donation. Paul, you've earned yourself a case pairing, and I owe you an email, and it's been the holidays for like six months, and I'm sorry, I'll get back on that train as soon as It has been the holidays for six months. God it's damn the worst. It. Right. Anyway, yep. thanks for and listening. I'll, on that note, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support and get a shout out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers. Hello, everyone. Let me tell you about the Apple for the Teacher podcast. I'm Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host. So you're probably thinking it's about reading, writing and arithmetic, right? Well, think again. It's a fresh take on true crime, where you wouldn't expect to find true crime in schools. Yes, schools. 
you will hear tragic and shocking stories that I have uncovered in my own profession. You'll hear about murder, abduction, hijack, misconduct, student disappearance, suicide, kidnap and ransom, and much, much more. So if you're looking for something a little different in the true crime genre, an apple for the teacher is for you. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. So join me as I present People Behaving Badly, The Bad Apples. Looking forward to seeing you soon, but until then, remember to be a good apple.